This is Dion Miller, sports anchor at ABC7 in Chicago. You're listening to The Friendly Confines with Chad and Ryan. Rhino, we're in the midst of an uh, exciting World Series as we record this. We're two games in. Time Some people will listen to this uh, series maybe over, but uh, baseball is still happening. I'm watching a little bit. You watch a little bit of the World Series right now? I am watching a little bit of the World Series, Chad. I think I've kind of started to get into it. I think it is a sort of a compelling matchup. The Braves, obviously, a really good story. And obviously, the Astros certainly play the role of villain just so well. It's 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 actually interesting to watch. Well, we've got a big show today. None of it's going to be about the World Series. We're going to be talking about very excitement, <laughs> the excitement around labor stoppages and negotiations. Trust me, it's good. We're going to talk about Willie and his future. There's some news there about him. Um, Patrick Wisdom with a nice little uh, potential honor up his sleeve. And then we're going to talk about uh, pulling out our crystal balls and saying, what's this this labor mess is over. Uh, what are the big moves that the Cubs front office needs to do? And we have a really interesting guest this week, Chad. You know, it's somebody who I actually had been wanting to get on for a while, but I was trying to find a way to how I could best incorporate him. So I'm sure you grew up where you were as a kid, and maybe there was somebody in your town that kind of made it big in that respect. Well, as you and I, as former sportscasters, there's a guy who I grew up with, an old friend of mine, Zach Klein, who actually did make it big in the world of sportscasting. He is now the sports director of the ABC affiliate in Atlanta, Georgia. His name is Zach Klein, and he is, of course, covering the World Series. But not only that, Zach grew up a diehard Cubs fan. He had wow. season tickets growing up as a kid. His family still has tickets to this day. So we're going to get into it with him, talking a little bit about the World Series and talking about some of the Cubs connections with Jack Peterson and, of course, with Dusty Baker. So it's an interesting conversation, as I like to call it, the Glenbrook edition of the seventh inning stretch because of the old friendship of my friend Zach. I'm obviously very proud of him. So stick around because the Friendly Confines starts right now. Going to Wrigley Field was a huge, unforgettable deal that impacted my life. Well, I think the Cubs winning based upon the, the gap was one of the biggest championships that is that have happened in any American sport in a really long time. The first day that they introduced me, I said, baseball matters on the north side of Chicago. It's one of the, I love baseball and I love fan bases where it's important. Well, I always hated the idea of the Cubs as lovable losers because I don't think there's anything lovable about putting an inferior product in front of baseball fans. It would be the highlight of my career uh, to see that happen and to, to get a chance to call it. And it, it didn't disappoint. Our addition to the new kid, I, his name was Billy Crystal. I don't know whatever happened. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm on the Chad and Ryan show. Welcome to Friendly Confines Extra Innings with Chad Gordon and Ryan Lieber. Hi, everybody. He's Chad Gordon. I'm Ryan Lieber. And Chad, let us start, as we always do, that being in the first inning. And there is a lot of chatter going around that after the World Series is over, there could, in fact, be a lockout when the collective bargaining agreement expires on December 1st. So we could have yet another work stoppage in baseball. Once again, this would be the ninth one in 26 years. What do you think is going to ultimately happen? Can the two sides come together and hopefully we won't have another delayed 2022 season? Where do you stand on what could potentially happen? It's not a surprise. Anybody that acts surprised by this has not been following along with this process. I mean, this is the good news here is they figured it out where they decided not to put these end of the, um, you know, end of the agreement contracts in the season, because that would obviously a devastate could have devastating effects if the, uh, the season would get postponed or there'd be a walkout or that sort of thing. This was always inevitable, inevitably going to be coming to an head. And, and it is now, I mean, you've got two sides and they are, scratching and clawing for billions of dollars 
the owners have seen their revenues increase exponentially. And the players actually, if you look at it, the average salary is down since 2019. And so this is something they're absolutely going to be making a move here. This is something that uh, um, I think that we're going to have a lot of discussions because the two sides seem very far apart. Like think about Chris Bryant's service time issue. Think about, you know, a percentage of the revenue. There's a lot of different pieces of the puzzle that need to be worked out. Yeah. I'm always one that is pro player. I think that, you know, like you said, Chad, these owners are making millions and millions of dollars and certainly they're lining their pockets. So I would rather it go to the players because all it's going to do is go into the owner's pockets and they have plenty of money. I I, I just, it's always though difficult as a fan when people are trying to scrape by and, you know, kind of just live the life that they're accustomed to in a sense that they're trying to just support a family to get behind uh, multi multi millionaires fighting for a larger piece of the pie. And I get it. I mean, the salaries, obviously, because of the revenue that is being made in professional sports, certainly the money is going to be higher for the players. But at the same time, um, you know, again, I, I understand that, you know, the players want to get more of the action, especially when the owners are, are just making more and more. Um, but at the end of the day, I think both sides need to give in a little bit because at the end, all that is hurt by this are the fans that don't get to enjoy the games and they don't get to, you know, experience the fun of, you know, getting that feel of going to a baseball game. And then at the end of the day, you know, these guys are obviously making a ton of money and the fans are the ones that are paying the tickets to go and watch them. So I understand that, you know, they need to uh, agree, but let's just try to find some common ground and maybe both sides have to give up something. And it's not just, nope, we're digging our heels in on both ends and we're just going to, you know, not have any baseball uh, come March. So hopefully they can work it out. Yeah, typically the free agent market begins once the last uh, out of the World Series is recovered. I just need to let everybody know, do not expect anybody to make any movements. I think teams and players are going to be foolish to lock into anything right now until they see how this is going to shake out. Now, speaking of that, let's move on to the second inning. Wilson Contreras has been in the news. There's a lot of people making some speculation, a lot of different uh, Chicago sports media folks talking about, well, if Wilson Contreras doesn't get an off-season extension, then it's likely the Cubs are going to shop him. What to these rumors? You know, I can understand why they think that, but I think Wilson Contreras at the end of the day is going to be somebody that is going to, you know, have a valuable role for the Cubs. Um, you know, I, I believe, you know, I, I know that, there's an opportunity for the Cubs to probably alleviate some innings for him because he has caught so many innings. And I do think that sometimes it can affect his hitting because he is just so spent being behind the plate. Now, if the DH comes to the National League, Chad, um, I think there's an opportunity there for Wilson Contreras to be a full-time DH for the Cubs and, and be someone that can provide that leadership. Like, he is a guy who is passionate. He is somebody that, you know, Cub fans love. And let's be honest, right now, he's really the only guy left on that roster that people recognize from the standpoint of, hey, he's, he's a part of that 2016 team. He's a part of these, you know, teams that have won the division and been to the postseason. I think he's got some cachet and name recognition. So I would like to see Wilson Contreras stay with the Cubs. Um, and hopefully they can find a home for him long term uh, as he continues to get older and doesn't have to catch as many innings as he has over the past five seasons what about yourself well he's done everything he needs to do if you think about that the young prospect that he was when he came up and was a part of of that historic run remember he was the the third catcher with Miguel Montero and uh, David Ross the Cubs now skipper so he's done what he can he's, he's a much better pitch framer he's uh, a clubhouse leader obviously we saw that vocalness uh, in this last year and and he's done what he can other than, like you said, a lot of bumps and bruises and some some timing issues because the Cubs have really struggled to find a solid second catcher. I mean, I I think this talk of making a move before the, the contract runs out really rings hollow because look at what the Cubs just did. 
They just waited till everybody's in their contract year and they made a move. Why would you get rid of somebody who is on everybody's list as a top 10 catcher in Major League Baseball? They're going to need that leadership. They're going to need that spark plug and they're going to need that consistency and that name recognition. You know, you've got Miguel Amaya waiting in the wings. He didn't have the best offseason because of injuries and some other issues. But just because he's a top prospect and just because he's got a lot of bona fides behind him doesn't mean that this Cubs team needs to make a move. I look at the Giants. I look at what they were able to do this year. You know, all of those wins and the fact that Buster Posey has been a part of that run since 2010, that first World Series. And so uh, there's some great value in having that leadership. You look at the Cardinals with the Adi or Molina. Um, the Cubs would be foolish, I think, to make a move. Um, and I don't think they're really put up against anything to make a move. All they have right now are prospects. Why make another move, get more prospects? unless you're signaling to the team that, uh, yeah, we're actually not attempting in any way, shape, or form to win. Wilson Contreras on the starting opening day roster um, and having a solid year, which he needs to in a contract year, which always motivates me thinking that I want my guys on a contract year and trying to play for their big paycheck. I think that's the best of both worlds. All right, so let us move on now to the third inning, Chad, and one person who certainly had a breakout year for the Cubs, that being Patrick Wisdom, who in his rookie season at the age of 29 – hit a Cubs rookie record 28 home runs, and that put him as a finalist for the 2021 Silver Slugger Award. Some of the people that he got nominated with, Chad, Austin Riley of the Braves, Nolan Arenado of the Cardinals, and Manny Machado of the Padres. So he is in that category as best offensive player at third base. What do you think of Patrick Wisdom being nominated for this award as a third baseman? Not a surprise in the world. I mean, what he did was otherworldly. What he did in a short season for him is incredible. I mean, Chris Bryant had the well, he had a, he had a, a limit. He had a couple of days off in April before they, the Cubs brought him up. But Patrick Wisdom had a much shorter year and broke Chris's rookie home run record. And so, you know, Patrick has shown that he has the ability to, you know, loft the ball and 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 whack it into the stands. I mean, the, the silver slugger for those that aren't aware, it's it's the best offensive player at each position so he's the finalist it's a tremendous honor um and frankly Ryan, i'm not surprised no austin riley most likely chad i'm sure will probably win the award and yeah. heck he might even win the the mvp award you know with the numbers he's put up but to your point in just 106 games 28 home runs 61 rbis um certainly surprised a lot of people this year um with his bat and his power to think, okay, if he had played in another 50-some-odd games, maybe Patrick Wisdom would have hit about 40-plus home runs. So he might and very well get that opportunity next season to be an everyday starter at third base. And I would like to see what Patrick Wisdom can do. Certainly needs to cut down on his strikeouts, maybe get his average up. But there is no question this guy is going to have a lot of home runs for this team next year if he gets an everyday chance to start. But, yeah, good on him being able to at least – be nominated for that award. As they say, sometimes it's just great to be nominated, not even necessarily to win the award. I love it. Before we move on, really fun fact. I'm going to put you on the spot. You either know it or you don't know it. Last year, the Chicago Cubs team, the 2020 team, they won the first ever team Golden Glove. This year, they only have one individual finalist. Do you know who that is, Ryan? Uh, is it Jason Hayward? No, no, it's... It's Zach Davies. Zach Davies is the lone. And I love that Zach Davies with his his over six ERA and his his record-breaking number of home runs he's given up. But hey, guys, he's up for the Golden Glove Award. I thought that was so funny when I saw that today. So let's move on to the fourth inning. And I love this question. You put it on the rundown, and it just allows us to talk out loud, which we definitely like to do. Ryan, what do you see are the three biggest holes this Cubs front office needs to do to fill this offseason? Yeah, boy, Chad, there is so much. Well, first, I think the biggest hole they need to do is they need to go out and get a solid number one pitcher who I think is, you know, going to be able to go out there kind of like what we saw those years when John Lester and Jake Arrieta were in their primes and being able to like go out there every fifth day and shut down the opposing team's ace. I think that is just so important, taking nothing away from Kyle Hendricks, because I do love Kyle Hendricks and I think he is a solid pitcher, but I don't know if Kyle Hendricks is an ace. I just don't think a guy who throws 80 miles per hour and relies on off-speed pitches is a guy that you can, in today's baseball game, 
rely on as an ace starter. So that that would be my first, uh, you know, spot that I would probably look at and say, okay, I, I think we need to uh, address that. Second thing I need to do is they need to go out and they need to get a solid bat. Where that may came from, where that may come from, I think ultimately is going to be the shortstop position because I think we know who is going to be starting at least at the, you know, positions for the most part, first base, third base, catcher, um, you know, I think maybe some of the other outfield spots are, you know, potentially up for grabs. But I think getting that solid bat in the lineup because shortstop, there are a, you know, glut of great shortstops that are available. We talked about it on our show last week. That's another big spot that they have to do. And last but not least, Chad, I, I really believe they need to go out and, you know, certainly get a, a guy who's going to be a shutdown closer. Um, I, I know that maybe that doesn't sound like a, that something they need because, probably they have somebody that can, you know, step it up um, from already the arms they have. But if they can, you know, solidify that bullpen, getting a, a guy who's going to close out games, those I would say are probably the the big three. The rest, I, I think, because again, I don't think they're going to be contending necessarily as a number one team next year, but you want to at least lock up, a, you know, those three things first before you move forward and and are able to contend in the near future. What about you? You know, it's funny because you, you said the three moves they need to make. And what I love is, you know, this team lost the big three. So you you lost a first baseman, a third baseman, and you lost, a, a, you know, they're all faces of the franchise and the shortstop. I think with Patrick and with Frank Swindell, you're pretty good right now based upon how they finished the year at the corner positions. And I, I actually think the Cubs front office wants to see what Frank could do. I mean, he was world other worldly. He was one of the, he was an MVP down the stretch. So I think first base is his, if he wants it. Now, if the Cubs um, aren't going to make a big splashy move at first base, I think they're going to make that move. And we just got done talking about Patrick wisdom. I think shortstop is an, a huge area key of need. And with the, the, you know, the 10 tremendous prospects that are out there, the one of the most filthy rich, um, uh, prospect pools in the history of Major League Baseball. I think you're going to see the Cubs grab one of those guys. Um, a lot of people would like to have Hobby back. I think you're going to see that. Um, so that's my first one. My second one is actually my first one. And I said this last week on the podcast. And what they need to do, and I've said this, I, I, I mean this, this is not me being silly. They need to figure out a way to restructure Jason Hayward and get him off this team. They need to find a way to get him to not be the albatross that he is offensively, where he is holding down a position at an insane amount of money. He is the primary. He is key. He represents more than half of all committed payroll on this Cubs team, and he has nothing but underperformed since they brought him onto this team. You could say what you want to about the speech. You could say to what you want to about him being a philanthropist and about him being a great guy and a great club, clubhouse presence. That's great. Have him move over to the coaching staff and continue to part your wisdom and restructure your contract and move on. I know it probably won't happen, but you got to think Jed has got to be thinking about ways to do that because they will punt before his last year if he continues to do something this year like he's done in the last couple of years. I think, you know, it really is the most important thing of the three uh, to do that. The, the third one and final one is how are the prospects going to shake out? Is Nico going to be your guy at second base? Is Braylon, um, is he ready to come up and be your starting center fielder? You know, is Ian Happ, inconsistency and all, is he the guy um, that's going to be still on the team or are they going to make a move there and they're going to go youth move it in center field? Are they going to go after a, a, somebody in, in the, the market or are they going to try to find finally the, for the first time since Dexter a solid leadoff hitter that is, is just going to be there in that role? They've got a lot of moving pieces. They've got a lot of people that are there in play. Um, you're right about making the move. You knew in 2015, even though a lot of people thought that that, that was a year too early for the Cubs, that the Cubs were seriously uh, serious about making a move. Will they make that splashy pitching move now? Or will they see how everything plays out, see what sort of energy this team can get behind it and sort of, sort of consistency? Or will they wait one more year for that big splashy uh, pitching project that you talked about? All right. So moving to the fifth inning now, Chad and Jason McLeod, the longtime executive for the Cubs. He uh, was obviously hired by Theo Epstein, certainly uh, played a role in the organization, building this team, doing what uh, was necessary for this ball club to, of course, reach the historic heights that he uh, was able to accomplish in 2016 with this championship team. 
Uh, leaving the franchise, he was uh, brought in as Theo Epstein's top scouting and player development executive. He was offered a senior position to stay, but he has decided now with Carter Hawkins, the new general manager, coming in to leave the franchise. Um, I guess it just kind of shows that, you know, new blood is now in. Carter Hawkins is going to bring in his guys. Um, does Jason McLeod, in your opinion, is he somebody or something that you feel like is a loss for this franchise? Or is it just, hey, thanks for everything, time to move on and do your thing? Obviously not. I mean, Jed didn't think that because if that was the case, he would be the GM right now instead of Cleveland's Carter Hawkins. I think I think this is one of those tough moments in in a person's career where the people that are above you don't believe in you. And Jason McLeod was intended to take over that GM role. He had done all the things necessary to ascend into that role. And they chose to go in a different direction with Carter Hawkins. And so wish him luck. He's had a number of interviews um, with different front offices, I think four or five that we know of. And so he's out there. I think he's looking for maybe for a fresh start as well. But Jason just wasn't the guy that Jed looked at to say, okay, you be the leader. You be the general manager. And for that reason, you know, he's gone. And uh, it's not as if he's, he's not going to find a job, but maybe he's hit as high as he's going to go. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it, you know, listen, we know that it's a, uh, kind of a Ferris wheel and a revolving door when it comes to player personnel moves and whatnot. And as you said, when the new boss comes in, it usually means that the, you know, employees that are currently there, there could be a house cleaning. And not only is Jason McLeod gone, but longtime assistant GM Randy Bush has stepped aside. He's in an advisory role and the Cubs are expected to announce Isan Bakari, who is with the Houston Astros as a senior director for player evaluation as the new assistant GM. So, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of moves that this team is making, bringing in a fresh set of eyes. We kind of talked about that when they hired Carter Hawkins. I like these moves and I like that they're hiring seems like young upcoming people that are around franchises that have built very strong cores and say what you will about the Houston Astros, Chad. And, you know, obviously they're, they're the villains of major league baseball, but they have made it to multiple world series and they've won a title and they're on, you know, potentially going to win another world series championship. Uh, if, you know, things keep up this year. So I'm all for the moves. I think it's always nice when, unfortunately, you're not seeing the gains that you want in one franchise and you're making new changes to the franchise. It's good to uh, bring in, you know, some some up and comers, so to speak. And it seems like the Cubs are doing just that. Well, let's move on to the sixth inning. And I know this pain as a Cubs season ticket holder. And we pose this question, even though. Tickets all went down across the board about one, you know, one to one and a half percent, which is whoop de doo. Um, but pose the question: Is a game at Wrigley Field too expensive now? And and the USA Today and other uh, places have actually done studies, and it it typically ranks as the highest price uh, for a family of four. But Ryan, what do you think? Is it uh, is that going to scare away this fan base, or do you think what the Cubs have built and how they built up kind of Disneyland around Wrigleyville? It's sustainable because the Cubs have probably one of the most rabid fan bases in Major League Baseball. They absolutely do. But I will say this. And I mean, listen, you're a season ticket holder, so you understand this so much better than, um, you know, I do to some degree. But I, I think back in the day when Cubs games were so much less expensive and people would go because the Cubs weren't really doing much back then and they weren't a winning baseball franchise. People would just go to enjoy the game. That was kind of how it was built. And, you know, people would just come out to the friendly confines. Well, once you get a taste of winning, Chad, and once you get a taste of seeing that this team can win a world championship, and then you tear it all down, and you sit there and you say, well, why would I spend my hard-earned money going to a baseball game on a regular basis to see a really crummy baseball team? I can understand why a family of four would have a hard time saying, yeah, we're going to go out and, and watch the Cubs, you know, day in and day out when they're not a very good team. Now, obviously on the market, if you're selling it, you know, second, third hand, maybe you're selling it at a discount. But overall, I, I'm one of those people. And, and I mean, this is just me at this point in my time, you know, my life, if I'm home and, you know, I'm interested in maybe seeing a good Cubs team play at this point in my life. Yes, I would do it, but I'm at the point now where, you know, I obviously 
think that my time is valuable. My money certainly is, you know, at a point where I need to spread it around to other things, being almost a father pretty soon. And by the time maybe this uh, recording happens for some people, I will be a father at that point. I, I just don't know if I can justify that. So, yeah, I do think it's a lot more expensive, Chad. And I, you know, living in South Florida, going to Marlins games, it's a very cheap experience. So I, I like that a lot. Um, you may have a different take, though. Where, where do you stand on that? You know, you're going to see a mass exodus, and the Cubs know this, of their season ticket ranks. There were a lot of people that jumped in, and they jumped in either right at or right before the 15 run. Um, and, yeah, there are some long-timer people. I'm, I'm at a decade plus, so I, don't, I wouldn't even consider myself a long-timer person, but I've been there for a little bit, and I'm not going anywhere. But there's a lot of people that felt the pain of this year especially of losing – money on their tickets. And I have fortunately built a really strong market of friends that in good times and bad, I always sell my tickets for face value always. And I've got some fabulous seats. Um, I think that the fair weather fan or the newer fan, let's just call it the newer fan um, who, who uh, jumped into this, got the tickets and it was a hot commodity and they could make a lot of money on StubHub. Um, you're going to see a lot of those folks go a lot of people on fixed incomes who've been longtime season tickets. You're going to see them go on the season ticket holder Cubs page. You're seeing uh, just dozens and dozens of people saying, looking for partners. Are you jumping ship? Join me and 12 other people in my season ticket group, which I can't even right. imagine. I've got one partner. Um, the, the biggest issue that I see, and I think where the, the Cubs have through greed have really uh, shot the season ticket holders in the foot is their, um, the pricing where it's dynamic and the problem there. So I'll give you a really great example. Um, the pricing there is, so let's say you want to have like Epic seats. You want to be in section 13, like right up from the Cubs on deck circle. And for, you know, those, those top tier games, cause they're priced in six different tiers face value on those tickets are $296 a piece. Those are insane. The lowest price ticket, which is the, bronze tier is the day after new uh, the day after opening day the day after that and a couple other cold weather april and september games um those those same seats are like 84 dollars. so the disparity of that you can actually make money on the cheap games and you almost have to always sell your tickets for a loss on StubHub. and so if i was advising anybody out there right now yeah just buy them on StubHub until this team is a proven winner again. The supply and demand is going to be really way out of whack. And I think the Cubs are going to have a ton of walk-up ticket sales that that's what they're going to rely on to make their money. I'm concerned about inflation right now. I'm concerned about uh, um, what we're seeing, you know, with supply chain. Cause uh, I saw, I just saw a recent story with the Seattle's new hockey team, the prices in the arena for food was just, astronomical so I'm, I'm i'm interested in seeing how that is gonna uh that is also gonna impact a cubs day at the park but yeah i think the cubs need to do something in a very drastic way to to change this approach as a season ticket holder because i'm still here but there's going to be a moment in time where i look at it and i go no i'll take that investment i make in the off season when i pay my deposit and then i pay the full amount and i'm going to say if i put that money away and I just pull money out when I go to games. I don't think I'll ever deplete that fund for the next decade. I was just going to say really quick, Team Marketing Report did a report, chat in uh, 2021 of this, excuse me, January of 2020, and they're based in Chicago. The Cubs do have the most expensive tickets in baseball, and they were you know, raised to an average of 59 basically $60 more than you'd pay at any other ballpark. And, you know, while some people would pay that kind of money, especially from the neighboring rooftops, as you said, it's it's just an extremely expensive uh, product. And I think they're relying now a lot more on people coming from out of town to experience the Cubs. Otherwise, those day games during the week that are just kind of those mundane day of the week games, I think we're going to see a lot more empty seats than we have in the past. Time now for the seventh inning stretch here on the friendly confines. You know, it's always great when we have spectacular guests, but it's even more cool when I can have people that I grew up with back in the day. And then I see them become as big as they are in the sports world. And today we have an incredible guest. 
It's an old friend of mine from back in the day, the Glenbrook edition of the seventh inning stretch, as I will call this today. It is Zach Klein, the sports director at WSB-TV in Atlanta, joining us here on the Friendly Confines. You can find Zach on Twitter at ZachKleinWSB. Zach, thank you for joining us and welcome, buddy, to the seventh inning stretch. Man, I, to have you. I appreciate you having me. I think we're just getting old. I think that's what this means. We haven't connected in a long time. I'm glad the Braves and the World Series brought us back together. It is great seeing you. Congrats on all of your success. And yeah, man, it's been a wild ride and good catching up with you. It's always great to talk to you, Zach. So let's start here. Obviously, uh, a team that really nobody expected to get to the World Series in the Atlanta Braves. This was a team that was kind of mired in 500 throughout the course of the season. What, in your opinion, has changed over the course of the last couple of months with this team to get them to where they are starting and playing now in the World Series? Wait, wait, you didn't believe they were going to go to the World Series when they were two games under 500 back in August with their Listen. star player, Ronald Acuna, gone for the year at the torn ACL with Mike Soroka gone with Freddie Freeman hitting about 220. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, for a team, Ryan, that was predicted to finish fourth in the NL East, to beat the Dodgers, to beat the Brewers, to get to the World Series is amazing and lose the players that they've done. No one thought about it. I don't think they – listen, man, you know, they start out the year so cold. I mean, no one was hitting at the, at the, uh, at the exact same time except for Acuna, who before he got uh, injured in Miami was off to an MVP-type caliber season, and then he goes down. But I think Alex Anthopoulos, the general manager of the Braves, figured, like, listen, we're all going to come together. It, eventually, it's going to happen, right? And that's what, what he did. So he bought in at the trading deadline, you know, acquiring those four outfielders and Adam Duvall and Jock Peterson and obviously Eddie Rosario, who just, I mean, Pablo Sandoval, no disrespect for Pablo Sandoval, but that's who you give up to get Eddie Rosario, the NLCS MVP. So it's been a miraculous run, but I think they've caught lightning in a bottle the last you know, no one's played better baseball than them the last six weeks of the year. So it's not surprising for those that have followed this team closely the last two months. But I think nationally, without a doubt, no one expected them to be in this position after the way they began the year. And of course, uh, as you mentioned in the uh, answer, you talk about Jack Peterson, a gift, I, I guess, to some degree from the mm -hmm. Chicago Cubs. What has he brought to the table that I think a lot of people never would have expected when the Cubs made that trade with the Braves uh, by the trade deadline? Pearls. <laughs> no one expected him to bring pearls into a uh, men's baseball locker room, but he did that. No, <laughs> uh, seriously, right? It was it was the joy of the game. It was the energy. It's the passion. Uh, he ignited that clubhouse and had him had fun. He's like, guys, we're playing baseball. Let's just chill out. Let's loosen up. I mean, he exudes confidence. He's got so much swagger. His walk up song right now is "Too Sexy" by Drake. The guy wears Jordans when he's warming up, wears pearls while he's playing the game. Uh, everybody just loves being around him. And I think that infectious energy really just exudes just the confidence and the ability to be in a good mood. And when you're in a good mood and then you play well, and then you play well, you're in a good mood. So it's kind of like the cyclical thing. He's brought just so much life to this ball club. So you have his energy and you have Freddie Freeman's professionalism, plus these young cast of characters that are so talented. Uh, you put it all together and it's just a beautiful thing to watch. I know, obviously, you are immersed in the Braves in what you cover, but I know at heart you are a diehard Cubs fan. You grew up a diehard Cubs fan back in the day. So I know this might be a difficult question to answer because I know you don't really follow the Cubs as intently, but you talked about how the Braves were two games under 500. The Cubs were in a similar situation before the trade deadline. What has been the difference, do you think, why the Braves were so successful in what they were able to accomplish this year with basically the same core and maybe what the Cubs were not able to accomplish and why we're seeing another rebuilding process in Chicago at this point? Well, I can, I can tell you, Ryan, from the Braves' point of view, what has led to their success has been key leadership on the field, you know, with a Freddie Freeman, with an Adam Duvall. Um, with even a young Austin Riley, who's having an MVP type season, those guys are such pros. And then you add in the lifer and a Brian Snicker, who's been with the Braves organization for four decades plus, who was in the minor leagues managing for 2,700 games. He relishes the moment, but he appreciates how hard it was to get there and that he passes that on. Ron Washington will be a manager one day. He connects with these players. He hears them out. They work so hard on the little things that when they become in the game, they're just, it's routine, right? So I don't know if the Cubs 
have that leadership from what I've been told. I don't, you have a better pulse on that team, but is there accountability? Is there leadership? You have too, too many guys with individual uh, goals and aspirations that the team becomes secondary because it's about them. It's about, uh, you know, the distractions in the clubhouse. I know the Braves were one of the first teams um, to be close to fully vaccinated. Obviously there was an issue from what I've been told in Chicago. Again, you could attest better to that than I can, but and you add it all together, I think that breeds success. The culture in Atlanta is, you know, they call it the Braves way. Um, you know, shoot, it worked for, you know, almost two decades in the 90s and 2000s, what Bobby Cox was all about. You handle your business between the lines and everything else, you know, falls in place. And I think that's what you've seen from the leadership of this team. So you're asking me the two things, core leadership on the field, leadership away from the lines. You add it all together. And, you know, I think it just breeds success. The Braves are going up against the Houston Astros, the uh, foil, so to speak, in a lot of baseball circles at this point, Zach, but led by, of course, ex-Cubs manager Dusty Baker. And I had said on the podcast last week that if there's any ex-Cub that I'm cheering for more, I'm separating the fact that Dusty manages the Houston Astros and the fact that I would love to see Dusty finally win a World Series. You know, I understand it could be at the expense of the Atlanta Braves, but um, how do you how do you kind of view that sort of prism of a guy like Dusty Baker, who's been a lifer in baseball, former Cubs manager, came so close in 2003, and now he has an opportunity to maybe be the oldest manager ever to win a World Series with Jack McKeon, but possibly do it at the uh, at the helm of ma- as the manager of the Houston Astros and a former Brave. Drafted by the Braves, you know, his mentor, his idol, uh, the second most important figure in his life, other than his father was Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron showed him the way. Obviously, we lost Hank Aaron around this past January. I was asking Dusty Baker earlier the week here in Houston about the the, the impact of his life. And he mentioned that he was everything Hank was to, 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 to Dusty. And I said, well, what if, if Hank were still here, would he, what would he text you the night before the game? one of the world series between his Braves and your Houston Astros. And he's like, first of all, he wouldn't text me. He'd call me and say, Dusty, how are you doing? We would talk family. Um, there's no one more revered in baseball, you know, than Dusty, the way he handles it, the way he connects with his players. Um, you know, I, I think Braves fans, listen, if they can't get it done, I think they would like Dusty to get it done. Remember when Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's record, Dusty Baker was on deck. And there to greet his, you know, his guy when he when he overcomes so much. So uh, Dusty does it the right way, you know, to be in this game and connect at his age with his generational being old school coming into the guys he has to deal with now and so many different personalities from so many different backgrounds. You know, give it up to him. And, I, and I'm with you. If, if, if the Astros can get it done and do it the right way, this way with Dusty, you know, mad respect and much love to him. Zach, in your opinion, are the Braves ahead of schedule? Is that kind of an obvious uh, answer to think that this team is way ahead of where anybody thought they would be at this point in time? Well, listen, you know, they had a 3-1 lead in the NLCS a year ago, right? I mean, realistically, they gave the Rays a better matchup than, uh, against the Dodgers than the Rays did. I mean, so I, to, to people that cover this team, listen, Atlanta gives no – they don't get love nationally because they don't have any sexy superstars besides Acuna. You know, everybody else is pretty much low-key – um, just goes about their business. I mean, your Dansby Swanson is not making any headlines. Austin Riley is not making any headlines. Freddie Freeman is not making any headlines. And you go around the outfield, other than, you know, Jock, who's got the personality, but it, it's Acuna and he's been gone since August uh, or be it late, actually late July. So, you know, I, I think they are right where they're supposed to be. They have so many talented young players. I mean, Ian Anderson, who's been, you know, he, he had an ERA under two um, in his first five postseason starts with no runs or one run allowed and the other other pitcher in the history of the game to do that was Christy Mathewson a Hall of Famer back in the early 1900s so yeah I mean they got to have a lot of young talent with some budding superstars with a former MVP and Freddie Freeman I think they're where they are supposed to be uh, the NL East is loaded or at least it should be with the Phillies and the Nationals obviously you know winning the World Series a, a few years ago the Mets should always be in contention with that payroll uh, and the Marlins have a young team they don't have the payroll, but they're, it's, it's, a, it's a tough squad, right? So, you know, winning that – once you get in the playoffs, once you get in the tournament, as they say, you know, anything can happen. We've seen that. But knowing that they got here, it's like, listen, man, we saw what we went through with the Bulls in the 90s with Jordan, right? You had to get by the Pistons. They were going to kick your ass and knock you down 
And then once you got by them, you're like, all right, I belong. And I think that's with the Braves. You know, they went 12 or 13 postseasons, Ryan, without getting past that first round, whether it was a wild card or the DS. And once they did that, they got to the NLCS. And then they did it again. And then they went to the World Series. So they have a young core that is not going anywhere. The only piece of the puzzle will be Freddie Freeman, who for the first time in his career will be an outright free agent. He's going to expect a contract in Goldschmidt's realm of five years, $135 million, but he doesn't want to go any, anywhere. He's the face of, the, of his franchise. Uh, this, is, this team is built to win now, and at his age of 32, he wants to be in position every year to play for a championship. So I, I don't think they've uh, got here too early. I think they're at the right place at the right time, and I think the future is definitely there for them to take advantage of this moment with Acuna locked up for another seven years, with Albies locked up for another five years, with Riley, with Anderson, with Soroka coming back. Um, this team is built for last, Ryan. And our thanks to Zach Klein of WSB-TV in Atlanta, Georgia. It was really a treat to obviously catch up with him. And, of course, you can find him on Twitter at Zach Klein WSB. So be sure to check him out there if you are a fan, of course, of baseball, Atlanta sports, or just in general. He is a great follow. So we appreciate him, of course. All right. So, Chad, let us move on. To the eighth inning, and um, a very interesting story that I thought we should definitely talk about, and that being about Dusty Baker, the former Cubs manager. Dusty was asked at a news conference about the World Series, and he was asked if this Astros team is his most talented team that he's ever managed. And, of course, Dusty then said that, you know, he certainly had some talented teams, the 0-2 San Francisco Giants. And then the 03 Cubs. And then even the 2017 Washington Nationals that he mentioned. But what I found interesting is he kind of talked about things seem to always happen to some of those teams. And one of the things he notably mentioned was, of course, Steve Bartman. And basically saying that if it weren't for Steve Bartman, the Cubs would have gone on to the World Series and possibly had beaten the Yankees. Chad, we are nearly 20 years removed from the Bartman series and the Marlins beating the Cubs. How ridiculous is it that Dusty doesn't take responsibility for something else in this series other than blaming Steve Bartman? Does this make you annoyed or is this par for the course that we should be still blaming Steve Bartman all these years later? It's incredible. It, that, that name should not should not leave dusty baker's lips it it just needs to go and and there were so many mistakes in the eighth inning so many issues that happened and dusty was a big part of it in that game that uh, led to the one of the greatest collapses of many collapses in cubs history and in baseball history but it wasn't steve bartman i don't even know if you saw this but uh jason sudeikis uh the guy uh um, who left the Saturday Night Live cast and now is starring in Ted Lasso. He came back to Saturday Night Live and they, they dusted off one of his old uh, skits and they had a cameo for Steve Bartman this Saturday at Saturday Night Like Talk about timely guys, like way to go. But it's a it was a pretty dumb skit, but I, I cringe when I saw that. Here's a guy in Steve Bartman that has done absolutely everything right. Imagine being a Cubs fan. Imagine being vilified. Imagine having death threats. And imagine never once showing up and... And uh, signing your name on a piece of memorabilia, he could be a wealthy man. He could retire. Bill Buckner, I just saw a great story about Bill, the late Bill Buckner and and uh, and Mookie Wilson. They have basically they, they retired off of their signature. They did a deal with Steiner Sports, and now I think Fanatics owns them right now. But that is one of the most valuable. That is that is exponentially valuable than Derek Jeter's autograph, for instance. So Bartman could have done his thing imagine all the white Sox fans that would have jumped on that they're not probably not a lot of marlins fans that are doing that but there's a market for that and he's never done it he's been the classiest guy i thought this was classless to continue to bring it up it just shows the lack of information and the lack of the just of understanding the moment of a fan who is in the wrong place at the wrong time and by all accounts has been proven did not it would have been the most amazing catch anybody has ever made along the wall and that section of Wrigley Field. Moises Alou, nobody has ever made, I've never seen that catch made ever, but he was going to make the most immaculate catch up into the stands while jumping along that wall. Not a chance. And Dusty Baker should have said it. 
Yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous at this point. I mean, this poor guy's life was ruined, of course. I mean, I just to this day, the man lives in infamy and, you know, he did nothing wrong. And I agree. I mean, yeah, you said people forget, oh, Alex Gonzalez bobbled the ball or, you know, the Cubs just couldn't get out of their own way. And let's not forget game seven. They had an opportunity to win. They were up in that game five to three. I was at that game as you were, too. And, you know, they fell apart. They absolutely fell apart. We carry wood on the mound, mind you. So, you know, it's silly for Dusty to continue to, you know, use this narrative as opposed to, hey, take some responsibility for the fact that you didn't do anything to try and stop the bleeding. Um, I just kind of found that very bizarre that he would even use that as a crutch. It really was. And so I know that angered a lot of people in Chicago when he brought that up, because I think there's a lot of people at this point, you know, A, that don't even really think about Steve Bartman anymore. And B, if they do, maybe they look back on it and say, yeah, that probably wasn't the right thing to do. We obviously blamed a guy who had nothing to do with it. We were taking our anger out on somebody that had nothing to do with anything when it came to that team winning or losing. Well, let's move on to the ninth inning. And Marvel has a great series uh, that's setting up there. I think they're phase four. I'm getting nerd nerding out right now on their Disney Disney channel, Disney Plus channel called What If? And uh, saying things like, uh, I, I can't even give you a good example, but like, what if Captain America died and, and Linda Carter took over? What if, what if Thanos, you know, won? Yeah, I, I, I don't even die. I'm, I'm but you just combined story. old Wonder Woman with Captain America. Oh, did I say Carter. Wonder Woman? I yeah. Meant, I, yeah. I, I, you know what? I yeah. meant, uh, I meant Captain America and Linda it's oh, Carter. It's Agent Carter. Wait, no, wait a second. What's It is Carter, though. It is Carter, but Linda Carter played Wonder Woman in the seventies. Yeah, right. It's still, and by the way, just uh, she was in the news recently. Still, absolutely gorgeous. Way to go, Linda. Um. Anyway, let's move on and and play the what if game for the Chicago Cubs. And we just talked about two thousand three, how they were four outs away from making the World Series, which the team that beat them, the Marlins, won. What do you think, Rhino? What if? Would you have rather? What? First off, what if? What if that had happened? And would you rather? First of all, I love that you weaved in the What If series in Marvel. And, screw, and screwed it up. And screwed it up. Be honest. You like when I mess up. I know, but I thought it was good. You, you did a nice job of trying to incorporate that. I think that's great because it's timely. It, it makes it timely in that regard. So I, a good job by you on, on that. It's Peggy Carter, by the way. I yeah. just think. Yeah, you had to Google it. I, 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 I forgot her first name, but I definitely knew it wasn't Linda. But I do. But regardless, all I can tell you is this. Um, This may shock you, Chad, but obviously if the Cubs had won the 2003 World Series, um, obviously the the trajectory of this baseball team would have been so much different, right? Like Joe Madden never would have been the manager. Theo Epstein never would have um, obviously uh, become the president of the team. Um, Tom Ricketts maybe never would have become the owner of the Chicago Cubs. Clearly, there are so many dominoes that would have fallen in a different direction had the 03 team won. But I will tell you this. There was something about that 2003 team that I thought would have been really cool if they had won it. Don't get me wrong. I love the 2016 team, of course, and we'll always love the 2016 team for everything that they represented, for the people that were on that team. They were amazing people that were a part of that team. But man, to be able to look back at that 03 team, to have had said Dusty was the manager and you had Sammy Sosa on that team and Mark Pryor and Carrie Wood, you know, and Kenny Lofton, um, Aramis Ramirez, like, The list goes on and on and on of just some of the great players that we could celebrate here today. You know, like, how different would Sammy Sosa be looked at today if he had won a world championship with the Cubs, if he had led the Cubs to the World Series? So there's something to me, to tell you the truth, that wishes that the 03 team was the team that actually won the World Series. And I don't want people to get confused to say, I wish the 2016 team hadn't won it because I am so excited they had. And that team is amazing and brilliant. And I love them and I always will. But there is something to be said about some of the guys who were on that 03 team, Chad. We talk about them in the sense that they are guys that had longer careers on the Cubs. They're guys who we, I think, still to this day um, revere as Cubs legends 
And yes, not to take anything away from Chris Bryant or Javi Baez or Anthony Rizzo, um, you know, or John Lester, but a lot of those guys didn't have the longevity as a Cub as some of the other guys on that 03 team. So that's sometimes the, 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 tr- the thing with me when I look at the 03 team, wishing they were the team that ended up breaking the curse. Because I think that would have been a revered team, maybe even more so than the 2016 team. Am I completely off my rocker for saying that? What do you think? No, I mean, that you know, history judges the way it judges. And that team, I mean, you listed off just a, a, a who's who of, of players from a very specific generation. You have to realize before the 2015 playoffs, I, I, game five against the Marlins was the last playoff victory that this Cubs team had. That's a huge drought. So for this team to get that close, that, that, uh, that, it hit a lot of people and it touched their hearts. I mean, I told you the reason I am the Cubs fan. I am. There's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of uh, um, nature and nurture that goes to it. I mean, I, I had WGN every day, every day in the afternoon and I, my uncle's kind of driving that. Cause that's what we watched out of my grandma's, but 1984, the heartbreak of, of being so close and having all the people, including my uncles that don't show a lot of emotion, be so excited about the Cubs being one game away. That solidified my fandom. And there's a lot of guys that 03 team solidified a lot of people's fandom. I mean, just blood and sweat and tears. But to answer the question, I wouldn't change a thing. And here's why. In 03, you know, I was kind of remotely out of college in my 20s and and I uh I was able to see a couple games, but I certainly wasn't able to see any of the World Series games. I didn't have any anywhere near the funds to be able to do, even though it was a much more less expensive um, prospect. In 16, I got to see, as you know, every single playoff game in 15 and 16 at Wrigley Field. And I got to see in 16 the entire run in, uh, in home and away. I got to see all seven of the World Series games, um, both at Wrigley and in Cleveland. I got to go to Dodger Stadium, got to go to uh, um, oh, AT&T Park, whatever it's called now, in San Francisco. But... I had that run. I had that moment that for me is just, you know, was the most exhilarating ride I ever had in my life. So I wouldn't take it back for that reason. And I also think, you know, this Cub fan base has the need to have a little bit of of punishment. And now those days are over. You know, this last run, the most successful and, and, and the most winningest seven-year period in Cubs history has come to a close, and now we can see what this ownership's going to do in the future. But what's not going to happen is they're not going to do what they did in the past, which was every five or seven years they stick their head above the ground and go, okay, we, we're going to compete here and get fan bases excited. Um, we're going to see a different game. So that 3 I remember the heartbreak. I remember just being numb. I remember feeling just I can't believe what I just saw as everybody else did. But I wouldn't change a thing. It's just a part of Cubs lore. And there was a lot of lore that fit right into that game six, which, as you said, shouldn't have been the death knell. Kerry Wood hit a home run in game seven. We're supposed to win game seven. But it wasn't meant to be until 2016. Yep. So, so true, Chad. And as you said, it, everything happens for a reason. All right, well, that is going to wrap things up on this edition of the Friendly Comments. Once again, our thanks to Zach Klein of WSB TV in Atlanta. For Chad, I'm Ryan. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. See you at the ballpark, everybody.